Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3 today. I've really been enjoying taking a look here at this story, this this ongoing saga of, of King David. And you just see, I mean, it's such a, a realistic story of a, a flawed man, yes, but a man that God is working through. And you just see turn by turn here, just, um, I mean, I don't know, this, the, the struggle, the there's a lot of drama. And today we have the same thing shaping out we've got this uh this this difficult moment where it's like hang on like who's the again who's the good guy who's the bad guy what's going to happen next abner again stirring things up (laughs) and uh we're just kind of again left with you know where does this guy really stand um anyway it's uh lots lots of good things and then on the other side again joab um on the side of david like uh is is joab even so good or david's guys even the good guys so lots of lots of good stuff to be looking at today and joining us we have as our guest we've got pastor paul kane uh pastor in uh, sheridan wyoming at emmanuel lutheran church good morning brother good to have you back and taking a look at this uh i mean just this is just so many things going on in this chapter man yeah, thank you very much for having me back. It's definitely winter here, which uh, gets people thinking about snow and and staying warm. There's uh, a lot going on in this particular chapter of Second Samuel. An awful lot, and some of it is rather awful. Yeah, I know. I mean, we, we, we just keep seeing this, right? I mean, like, we really worked i'm glad that we did we, we took our time last time working through chapter three just because you know you're, you're trying to like work your way through that chapter and you're just kind of saying <clears throat> i mean chapter two rather and, and you're just kind of saying like what is going on what are they doing but you kind of see again and again like hang on a second like it, it's not like everyone on david's side is just kind of a white knight you know and shining armor and they're like everything they're doing is all like all noble um you, you really just get into this this very messy picture where there's 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 kind of like good guys on both sides. There's a lot of bad things done on both sides. In that way, it's uh, it's very much real, a realistic I think uh, picture, and something that really reads like history rather than um, I don't know some kind of like idealized uh, heroic account or something. It does. It has elements of court intrigue. There's plenty of politics to distract us from uh, our news going on right now. But a, <laughs> yeah. a lot of war correspondence uh, going on in here as well with these generals and kings and how many sons and trying to keep all the brothers uh, straight. Uh, absolutely. We'll have to <laughs> we'll have to make sure we, we do our best to try to keep all the names and figures straight. A lot of people to keep track of. Uh, but before we get into the thick of it, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer, if you would, brother. Open us up. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, of your bountiful goodness, keep us, keep from us all things that may hurt us, that we, being ready in both body and soul, may cheerfully accomplish whatever you would have us do. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so 
let's let's take a look here at those figures and all these people here that you were mentioning. Who are who are the the main players in this chapter that we really need to be focusing on, and maybe some some of the uh, minor characters that we just need to make sure we don't confuse with everybody else. Even though Saul died in the last chapter of First Samuel, which is why we have the break in modern editions of Samuel between First and Second, mm-hmm. he's still a rather major character. Mm-hmm. You've got a war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Um, Saul's folks are up north. Uh, remember, Jonathan is also dead, and we have a different son of Saul, Ish um, Bosheth, who is king. Is he king? Well, that's (laughs) why we talk about this being a a civil war. And he's got folks who are supporting him, um, making some deals, not quite in the background. They're rather public. And then, of course, you've got David. David is not yet in Jerusalem. He's in uh, Hebron, and all of a sudden he adds to his previous two wives, or is it two and three, an additional oh, yeah. four, and some sons. A couple of the other characters uh, you really got to know about are Abner. Yep. He's becoming more influential in the house of Saul, but he's doing some traveling. And then Joab who's very, very significant later in this rather long chapter. Yeah, that is, um, like the previous chapter, I think one of the big things that we noticed that Joab and Abner are becoming more and more prominent in the story here. Um, until this point, Joab and Abner were just in the background, but here the, the generals that are in front of these two rulers here are just... Uh, becoming more and more prominent as like these these proxies and i think that the uh the the big moment in the previous chapter was you had david um as you were saying you know like so so who's the king right you know david he gets anointed there in the south and he you know he sends this these messengers over to jabesh gilead and he's saying hey you know uh, you've, you've done right by saul um you know i think he's demonstrated that he in many ways, was loyal to Saul. He would he wouldn't attack him, right? Even though uh, <laughs> that that uh, ethic wasn't exactly mutual, right? Um, and he commends him, and I think it very much uh, is implied that he's saying, "So now, you know, you should also be joining the movement behind me, right?" I mean, that, that was back in it was uh, where was it? It was. Um, it was in verse seven of the last chapter. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant for Saul, your Lord is dead and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Right. So he's like, hey, you right. should you should uh, come join my cause here. Right. You know, so he can add Gilead right to to his cause um, and not just Judah there in the south. But then it says, "Oh, but Abner actually had already anointed Ishbosheth, so they weren't going to be responding positively there." So, yeah, the the way that this this is kind of this uh, this back and forth, and you know, David gets surprised, and uh, yeah, so we we have just that kind of thing happening uh, more so here with these generals making these big moves, 
uh, kind of in front of David, and then David's reacting um, and, and maybe even caught off guard. Indeed. Uh, Abner's a literal kingmaker going on here, and there's there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of death. Um, there's a lot of talk about women, and there's plenty to make us uncomfortable in this until we realize the promises made to David of one who would be uh, king of kings and rule on David's throne forever. That's Jesus. He hasn't shown up yet. Um, for a man after God's own heart, there's a lot to uh, wonder about in King David. But yeah. we are told that David grew stronger, the house of Saul becomes weaker and weaker. No, that's true. David is, uh, on the one hand, yeah, Christ hasn't shown up. On the other hand, he, he is he is here. It's just uh, through a mirror dimly, right? So Indeed, indeed. Uh, let's go ahead then and read through the chapter here. So this this will be good just to kind of get it all out on the table. There's a lot to talk about, but we'll kind of go over this, uh, get the bird's eye view. We can have a chance to kind of react a little bit just to the, the whole chapter and uh, then we'll come back around and, and take a look at this, uh, well, how Abner kind of starts everything, gets the ball rolling uh, in this chapter. But let's go ahead and read it over. This is chapter 3 of Second Samuel in the English Standard Version from the top. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. And the sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel, and his second, Kiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, and the third, Absalom, the son of Makah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, and the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Hagith, and the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ithriam of Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. While there was war between the house of David and the house of David, the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, "Why have you gone into my father's concubine?" Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, "Am I a dog's head of Judah?" To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman. God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. And he said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michal, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, 
weeping after her all the way to Baharim. Then Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the house of the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. When Abner came with twenty men at, to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Just then, the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has let him go. He has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he's gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you're doing. When Joab came out of David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah, but David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the stomach, so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or is leprous or holds a spindle or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the bier. They buried Abner at Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered as one falls before the wicked you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put, the de put to death Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zariah, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Uh, a very complex portrait here. Um, I mean, in many ways, I think this was kind of foreshadowed by the previous chapter that we saw that that Abner was was no bad guy here. I mean, it's it's really interesting. Some of the commentaries, um, you see the suggestion in, in chapter two that that Abner really is just kind of 
trying to gain power and rule um, through Ishbosheth as a proxy, right? And he's just like, you know, just right. pulling the strings. He's the puppet master, right? Um, but I, I just feel like it just doesn't actually square with the, the narrative. You, you see in chapter three, the previous, I'm sorry, chapter two, the previous chapter, how he's trying to avoid bloodshed. Um, he's, he's speaking wisely. He's trying to talk Joab down um, from, from this hot-headed course of action. And then here in, in chapter three, um, you know, like once he, I guess it kind of like he just, he has this moment where it seems like it just dawns on him, hey, Ishbosheth is not, <laughs> is not the one that God wants to be king. I, I've made a mistake right. here. Uh, right. And it's like when he, when he sees that, it's like he, he does, he does the right thing. So I, I feel like this is just a, I don't know, like it's just, it really is just showing us how, okay, yeah, you know, there's Abner and there's Joab and, you know, the, I, I guess, Abner initially supported the wrong guy and Joab the right guy, but that doesn't mean that everything Abner does is bad and everything Joab does is good. Quite to the contrary, Joab ends up looking a, a lot worse than Abner here. There's a lot of gray here, a lot of room for the forgiveness of sins, and I find it to be a good reminder that good people can make um, an impulsive decision or a decision based off of bad information, or just make the wrong decision for whatever reason. And part of our graciousness to them, especially if it's a brother or sister in Christ, is to give them room to change their mind, give them room to repent, and not make them die on that particular hill. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, well said, um, especially in light of the previous chapter where they literally go on a hill. But uh, yeah, I, I think that that yeah. is a, a really big issue for us today that, you know, I just I just remember like going uh, going back to the, uh, the like your, I guess, was, was this already like your, your 2000 without uh, Al Gore and uh, George Bush, right? But um, all right, yeah. I guess I guess even it was around then, and then even in the in the subsequent election too. But like one of the terms, it it just seemed to strike me that really came out was the the label flip flopper, right? And it was just like the worst right. thing that you could ever be was a flip flopper, um, and <laughs> and it seems like this is kind of like stuck around in our identity politics in our nation that. Like, I, I don't know. It's like you, you ideologically have to belong to like, you know, one philosophy or the other. And if you, you know, speak any heresy <laughs> of your of your philosophy, it's like, oh, hey, look at you. You're like a traitor. But it's just like, hang on, guys. Like you were saying, is there no room for repentance? Is there no room for anyone to change their mind, to, to be sincerely mistaken and then realize that they've done wrong and, and to and to do better. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. It, it seems like a very, I don't know, like, like a climate that's, that's hostile to the very notion of repentance. Indeed. And we need that room. Um, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abiding in steadfast love. Uh, we can quote the old Testament language. We could also quote new Testament language, but, the forgiveness of sins is so important in the um, one-year lectionary readings this week, the 19th Sunday after Trinity, hmm. that I'm, I'm reminded that um, refusing to forgive is, is a sin against the gospel itself. That's right. uh, we're, 
don't let the sun go down on your anger, we could also say. And Mm -hmm. how much better we rest forgiving someone who's done us wrong and also being forgiven when we've done wrong. Yeah. Uh, there's just no room for grudges among brothers and sisters in Christ. No, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, the uh I mean the Lord says, you know, if if you don't forgive, your father in heaven won't forgive you. Um and any and, and he lays it out there not as a, you know, because by forgiving people we somehow earn God's forgiveness. But just as you were saying, that, that that refusal to forgive is really a rejection of the gospel itself, right? Um, like when, you, when, when we say, you know what, I'm holding on to that one, that's, that's, a, that's a heart, that's an attitude that says, you know, this is how the game is played. Really, there is no such thing as forgiveness. This person's got to earn it. Um, and when, once your heart goes there, I mean, how, how can you, once we're clutching on, right, to the sins of uh, the people who have sinned against us, right? Our hands are, are, are too full and too tightly closed to receive the forgiveness from God, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I do think this is, uh, you see this is just like a major uh, point here, and it's just, it's tragic the way that Joab essentially just kills Abner because of a grudge, because of uh, wanting revenge. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all it boils down to, right? I mean, Joab just wants revenge, and he gets it in the it end at, at the cost of one of the most noble men in Israel. It's a murder, plain and simple. Um, no. And we might even term it an assassination if we yeah. were putting together the newspaper headline for that day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, it's, uh, you, you think about it. I mean, he, he's using his, uh, his political position. He's using his power to get Abner into this vulnerable spot, Right. And then he kills him. I mean, and this is a. I think this gets to the way that David, uh, that that David speaks here in verse thirty-four. Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. Right. Like so. Just right. th- this way of saying, hey, like you, you didn't die because I, I like you know brought you up on charges, right? And I had uh, I said, hey, you know, answer for your conduct and your support for Saul. He's like, no, he, he this this guy did not die justly for for his sins he he died like a you know like like a good man like well like i mean like saul and jonathan like up on gilboa right before the philistines um i I mean i mean he's really he's comparing his own general (laughs) joab um and then he and he curses his general actually and his whole family uh we'll want to talk about that yeah i think i think you mentioned at the beginning there's a lot of things in here that are uh yeah, that, that make us squirm a little bit. That's uh, that's that's more than fair. Um, only only like a minute left before our break here, but maybe maybe the first one, as, as you were pointing out, is seems that David has um, acquired himself a little little bit of a harem here. Um, so just just briefly before the break here, um, wh- when did he get all these wives? <laughs> it looks like he's uh, collecting wives in addition to Ahinoam and Abigail, and he had a wife before, and she comes up again, uh, Michael, uh, mentioned in the middle of this chapter, because Saul had taken her away and married her off again. It really seems to be a way of consolidating power, and it does divide the king's attention, not just politically, but emotionally and religiously. And you 
have this tradition of lots of wives outside of God's direction, um, and it causes problems for the whole dynasty. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll certainly see that. I mean, and that's a theme that you see again and again, actually. People talk about how the Bible shows uh, bigamy and, and polygamy in various places, but the Bible pretty uniformly actually shows that no good comes from that, <laughs> uh, whether it's the competition no between good. Leah and Rachel or the drama that's going to happen in David's family. But um, like I said, it's time for our break. But everybody, hold on. We're looking at Second Samuel chapter 3 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more about classical Lutheran education at Faith Plano, visit flsplano.org. That's flsplano.org. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 3, joined today by Pastor Paul Kane, pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church, Sheridan, Wyoming. If you're listening live, join the conversation. Give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821. 0850. I just saw something on my screen move, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but yes, we uh, you can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Some of those email questions uh, talking about, I mean, really just like the, the political posturing here we have, right? Like, uh, was what's up with the accusation that Ishbosheth throws at Abner, right? Like, was, was Abner right. uh, up to no good and trying to usurp? Uh, Ishbosheth's power, right? Um, what was uh, was this just a I don't know a, a slanderous remark on Ishbosheth's part? We should uh, take a look at some of those questions here. You can also hop on the live stream Facebook.com/slash HA Espinosa. We got a couple of comments there in the live stream. Um, 
you know, it's interesting what Abner says, you know, he's, he's talking to the elders of Israel, and he says, you know, for some time you've been wanting David king, right? So, I mean, what kind of stuff has been going on in the background, right? Um, this, is, this is an interesting comment, and, and you want to kind of see, like, what's, uh, what's going on here. But anyway, yeah, lot, lot, lots of good things to take a look at here. We won't be able to look, look at them all, but we'll try to answer some of these questions anyway. Uh, I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. Okay, Pastor Kane, let's take a look here at some of these questions. We, right before the break, we were talking about um, all these wives, right, at the beginning. And um, as you were saying, it seems like this is a, a, a political kind of like power move here, right? Like like he's a, like you can just kind of like go around here. You've got um, a Hinnom of Jezreel. And, uh, you know, this is... This is one where I guess there's some debate because I, I think I think a lot of people assume that David was only stuck in the south, um, and so there's no opportunity for him to go north up to Jezreel um, in the Jezreel Valley. That's to say, um, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess honestly, the more I keep reading in First and Second Samuel, the more I'm thinking that actually um, David what had a, had a much larger range, I think, than people are uh, assuming. I'm thinking that he actually was going down from the south uh, all the way up through Moab and then all the way up to the Geshurites, and that matches right. with the list of uh, wives that he has here, right? Because if he's got, like, a wife from Jezreel up in the north, right, he's got his wife from uh, Carmel, so this different Carmel, though, that would refer to the south in Judah. Um, he's got then another uh, wife from Gesher, so we're talking Gesher, to like— the east of the Jordan— Exactly up up where you would have kind of East Manasseh, right? Traditionally, I mean, this looks like these are the places that he's been, and as he's wandering around, he's collecting wives and therefore collecting alliances as he's been going about this wilderness wandering. I mean, he's been uh, strategic during this time. It does make a lot of sense politically, um, not when we consider what the covenant king was supposed to do and have yeah. um, a limited number. Uh, of course, we're reminded of Adam and Eve and uh, that that pastors are to be man of one woman, husband of one wife, uh, God's ideal for holy matrimony. There's, there's overlap between this and the next paragraph with that um, accusation. But yeah. before we leave this one with uh, David's wives, we've heard of some of these sons far more often with far more negative enduring influence mm -hmm. than these specific wives in these other regions and, um, well, that one king, uh, the king of Gesher. Mm -hmm. uh, we hear more, especially in this particular book, about Amnon. Uh, chapters 13 and 14, not mm -hmm. to spoil too much of the plot when we get there. <laughs> Absalom, yeah. there's there's trouble there, uh, chapters yep. 15 through 19. And then by the initial chapters of uh, First Kings, Adonijah. Uh, yeah. We don't know about um, Chiliab, possibly called Daniel, an alternative name. Maybe he died young. Maybe the Lord was merciful. 
and mm-hmm. there were no negative um, problems there. We've got uh, Abner here, kingmaker, the guy behind the throne, and maybe the king is wondering, well, are you really the guy behind the throne, or are you wanting to be on the throne yourself? Right. The accusation in verse 7, which Abner uh responds to with indignation. I'm not a traitor. Am I a disreputable uh, disreputable person? No. Uh, initiating a relationship with Rizpah in that way, yeah. of that kind, would basically be a claim to the throne in the yep. ancient world. Yep. And that that might be what he's suspecting, even if there is nothing going on here are you really trying to rule through me or get me into place for legitimacy and then take over? Um, yep. No, I think, that's, I think that's exactly right. And you see this in 2 Samuel 12, um, where, where Nathan is going to be speaking to David, and he says, just like in, in passing, right, in uh, chapter 12, verse 8, yeah. and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah— and, and I think that comment um, just reflects exactly what you were saying, that y- you take your, your enemy's uh, wives, and this is tantamount to taking his crown, his throne, right? So I, I, I think yeah. that very much here when Ishbosheth is saying this, is this isn't just because Ishbosheth has, uh, you know, high scruples of chastity or something, but this is this is a, this is a power accusation, like. Hang on a second. What are you? What are you doing? Are you trying to undermine me? Um, it, it's just him being paranoid, right? Or, or maybe just throwing out an accusation just to get rid of Abner, right? And just con- consolidate power. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I mean, I don't. I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't take it as that Abner, Abner actually did anything. Yeah, there's there's no evidence he did. We just have the accusation in his response. Yeah. Um, but by by him doing this, right? I mean, I think I think this is then this this light bulb moment that we get, right? That uh, Abner realizes here, you know, hang on a second, <laughs> this is not the guy who is meant to be king. Um, which which I I think right speaks to you know going back to when he did have uh, Ishbosheth put on the throne. That he really was just doing like the best that that he knew at the time. This this wasn't, um, you know, some kind of a power move. I, I mean, like if it was about power, Abner could have just killed Ishbosheth right here at this point, um, and, and the yeah. armies probably would have gone along with it. Uh, but but I think this shows that like he was sincerely following his conscience, and as you were saying, and he was mistaken. And then I think he realizes that in this chapter. He does. He does. The the name just gets to me, um, Ishbosheth, man of shame. Um, I can't help but think that wasn't his given name. Um, right. There's a lot of academic discussion about that, but I remember uh, when King David wanted to be a blessing to one of the last surviving remnants of the House of Saul, and that fellow's name was Mephibosheth. Yeah, right. And so he was able to do that. But by verse 11, he can't answer Abner another word. He's afraid of him. 
which may parallel a little bit why David didn't punish Joab, um, because Joab was too strong, in the same way that David had that messenger who finished off Saul executed back in chapter 1. Yeah. No, that, that's that's a good point. Like, I, I think I think you actually see this this balance that we kind of fail to appreciate. But like, there's a I, I have such a hard time not comparing things to Star Wars. You'd, you'd think I like watched it all the time. I really don't. But there's a little bit of like a Sith thing going on here. I think when when you have the the kings and their generals, right? It's kind of like the the, yeah. the king is like the master and the general is like the apprentice. And honestly, in the ancient world, it's like it's almost an inevitability that at some point your apprentice general is going to betray you and take over the throne. It happens all the time. Um, you know, when we get into like the Roman period, we're going to see it happens left and right. Um, it's just, it's just uh, crazy. Like with, um, you know, I mean, I mean, even, yeah, before the Romans, even like with Alexander and his generals. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just a natural thing, uh, just humanly speaking here, but you, you, you see it, like you were saying, like David and Ishbosheth do not want to cross their generals. That's a dangerous spot to put themselves in. The armies are are loyal to their generals first of all, um, and like y- you really don't want to go uh, press too hard on your generals, or else you might have a rebellion on your hands. And that's a consequence of having a king, uh, yeah. just as we heard early on back in the the first half of Samuel. Um, the king's going to take your sons for war. The king's going to take your daughters for wives. And yeah. what kind of problems do we have right now? We got the generals, and we've got the controversy over the women. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I- I- exactly. So, um, so, so we have this situation. You know, Abner uh, realizes that he was he was wrong to to install uh, Ishbosheth. This this wasn't the man that, that God had in mind, this, this man who is just showing himself to be willing to, to, to lie and to throw people, um, under the bus to, to slander people just in the name of power. Um, that, that's something that, that David has shown himself for all of David's faults, right. That hasn't been one of them, right. Like he was unwilling to even like say anything bad against Saul, even when Saul was after him. And, and I and I think that's speaking to Abner here. He's thinking back and remembering and realizing David, you know, for all his faults, is actually a guy who could be king um, in a God pleasing way, but not not Ishbosheth. So so it says here there's this there's this defection, right? Um, which which is just, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. He just kind of says what he's gonna do, <laughs> and Ishbosheth's like, uh. I don't really have a response to this, but, you know, he says, you know, from Dan to Beersheba, um, I mean, yeah, he's, he's talking like, yeah, you know what, forget this, where we have this divided kingdom of Ishbosheth in the north and, and David there in the south. Um, no, David's going to have the whole thing. He is. And in asking for Michael, his wife, back, Saul's daughter, yeah. it does add legitimacy to the rule and unites the two houses. Um, Boy, in an ideal world, you'd want your heir to come from that. Of course, you know, that's not how it worked out. Uh, But it 
it must have been embarrassing for Michael to be recalled by her father and married off by some other guy. You do feel for the husband who chased after her on her way back to David, but she does have an opportunity to become queen. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's that's really interesting how he does make that. I mean, like McCall, right, has just kind of fallen off the map, right? And we're kind of like, hey, what happened to, to McCall? And we, we get that comment just kind of in passing, right, when he when he marries yeah. Abigail that, like, oh, by the way, McCall had been given away to some other man. Um, and, and, and so you, you see this here, and, and this is like a big squirmy moment right here because you're just like, oh, hang on, what? Like, okay, she was... She she was like supposed to be David's wife, um, but then she actually married somebody else, and now he's he's taking McCall back, you know. And, and it's like this is a, I mean, like I, I think if you read over Leviticus, this is something that's pretty clearly ruled out that you know, like if if you like divorce your wife, say, I mean, this isn't exactly the same situation, but I think the same principle applies. Um, but if for yeah, for some reason, like you know, you and your wife, are, as well. what's that? Yeah, Deuteronomy 24 as well. Ah, yeah, right. Um, exactly. So, like, you know, if, if she goes and marries somebody else, like, you can't just take her back afterwards and say, oh, but I was first. Like, it's, uh, no, like, God doesn't like breaking apart marriages. And even if the second one happened under unideal circumstances, I mean, it's still marriage. Truly. It uh, makes us reconsider the biblical foundations of marriage. Of course, we have that opportunity every time we get to attend or I get to officiate a wedding this coming Saturday, but to be thankful as husbands for our wives and wives for husbands and remember that uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins is a good thing for husbands and wives every well, uh, yeah. especially given our earlier conversation yeah so i mean so you see so you see it here like you were saying i mean like david again i mean like th- th- this this wife collecting um e- even with mccall right like it's it seems like it's a political thing which is like i mean it's it's just i'll, I'll just say it like i think it's hard because it's like on the one hand it's like you know that this isn't God's design for marriage, but on the other hand, I mean, like, this is how the game is played when it comes to the kings. I mean, this is this is why Samuel, as you were saying, was warning them and saying, hey, guys, do you, do you really want to have, like, an earthly king? Do you know what that's going to entail? I mean, that that's a pretty broken system, right? Um, and, yeah. I, I mean, David's illustrating it here, because it's like, you know, even though he's going to be uh, a good king, he's going to be a good king, which is just not a very good thing to begin with. Right. An earthly king is earthly, and it's. we know how messy politics is in our world right now, in yeah. our communities, in our country, with, with all the discussions going on, and I'll just leave it right there. Yeah. It's just yeah. never been easy to administer a kingdom in the real world or a republic, for that matter, yeah. corrupted by fallen humanity. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and we and we shouldn't be, you know, we we shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily give it a pass, but we shouldn't all be surprised. It, I mean, it, it's an inevitability, and if we, you know, I mean, this is the thing, right? You know, we might say to ourselves, you know, man, you know, why can't we elect a a president like a why can't why can't we elect a King David? 
Well, I mean, like, here's your King David, right? I mean, like, <laughs> he, he's not even <laughs> the King David you're thinking of, you know? So it's just, uh, you're not, don't put your hope in princes. That's what the scripture says. Um, oh, all right. Man. Let's go, let's go ahead then. So as you said, you know this is a this is a sad picture here. Um, Abner eventually just has to say, "Get out of here." It's yeah, this is sad that you're losing your wife, but it can't be helped. This is the this is the cost of monarchy, basically. Um, you know, and, and so he has this comment. Then for some time past, he speaks to the elders. You have been seeking David as king over you. What do you make of this conversation that he's having with the elders of Israel? I mean, like, is this is this rebellion? Is this mutiny? Um, it, is this in keeping with Romans thirteen? Like, uh, what 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 is going on here? That's a really good question. Um, I think he's doing a little bit of both, helping the prophecy be fulfilled uh, related to his conversation with Ishbosheth, but also he's appealing to their own self-interest. Previous, previously, you were wanting David to be your king, and having United Kingdom is really, really attractive, because if you're going to have a king, an earthly king, having a powerful, united, larger kingdom is better than having a civil war, squabbling, smaller kingdom, and an ongoing war. Yeah. Um, his, the word of Abner was with the elders of Israel. Um, it's a rather literal way to translate the Hebrew there. Yeah. Uh, conferred, we see in the ESV. Is he really giving advice? Yeah, he's kind of stirring the situation and mm-hmm. fulfilling his role, his self-appointed role, is it? He was a kingmaker up north with the last surviving son of Saul, and isn't he doing the same thing again, advocating for the kingship of David this time? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you you draw our attention there to the Hebrew construction. I almost want to say it's more like the, the message of Abner, like, had been sent to the elders of Israel, right? Because, because you know, Abner it locates and the text does right um, in in conveying uh, Michal over to uh, over to David, right? So uh, he can't be in two places at once. But it seems like he's he's gone and he's sent out this message saying, "Hey guys, um, yeah, we 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 in, you know installed Ishbosheth, but that." maybe wasn't actually the right thing to do. And so like, you know, so they're, they're, they're kind of like sitting on this. Right. Um, mm. But, but then we're going to have this moment where we're actually going to, you know, go out and uh, do something about it. And it, what's kind of interesting, I think is like, so this message has, has been sent out everywhere, but then in verse 19, it, it does seem, mm, well, I mean, like you could take it either way as like, maybe he actually goes and then like, speaks to Benjamin. This this might make more sense because of like the geography, right? Um right. but it's These interesting the then the orders of the other yeah. king. Yeah, exactly. Right. So what what do you make about then like kind of focusing on Benjamin here? It's a politically savvy thing to do. If the tribal leaders of Benjamin, the main supporters of Ishbosheth as as king, because he's of the house of Saul 
if you win them over, then you've yeah. united the kingdom. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I think so. I think at, at at the end of the day that like it's it's not as if you know Jezreel or um, you know the Geshurites or any anyone else is gonna be a more ardent supporter of Ishbosheth than than Benjamin itself, right? And so that really that really says something. I think when the House of Benjamin is saying like, yeah, we don't even want Ishbosheth. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. That's 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 saying yeah, a lot. It's like holding um, a political rally and nobody shows up. Yeah, right. It's like they're, ooh, they're winning them over. Yeah, yeah. Winning so, um, so so then um, the 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 only other thing maybe, maybe kind of like on on this. So you know, David, he you know he he makes this uh you know he has this big reception for him. Um, before that though, right? This this was this was in, I think we kind of skipped over this here. Um, when, when he sends the message to to David. You know, so he says, you know, fetch my my wife, right, from the house of Saul. Um, but he also yeah. says, right, um, you shall not see my face unless you unless you first bring Michal, right? Um, I, I just meant to like uh, take a look at that a little bit. What, what what do you? I don't know. Is do you make anything about that language there? I mean, I, I think I, I think this is an example of where it sounds harsher in English than it does in actually in the Hebrew. But I mean, uh, yes. What English do you think? translations can be rather awkward. What I get out of it is um, Abner is being received in royal style. He's yeah. being treated like an ambassador because they're making a covenant. They're cutting a covenant, to use that um, that idiom. Um, by the end of verse 20, we've got more of this diplomatic language. He sent him away, and he went in peace. This is a safe conduct, yep. like um, Martin Luther was supposedly promised, but then um, Jan Hus was promised one too, and they uh, yep. repealed it. Um, this leads into a verse that shows up later, and I wanted to make sure we mention this. In verse 31, it's kind of an end cap to all of this royal stuff going in, uh, treating him as an ambassador, receiving him in royal style. It's the very first time that the narrator uses the title King David. Yeah, yeah, I know. In this chapter in verse 31. Yeah. And it's all connected to this whole episode. Yeah, I know. That, that's that's really striking, right? All of a sudden, I mean, it's kind of like in the Gospels where sometimes just every once in a while you just get the Lord Jesus, right? Like, um, yeah. it, it, it just, just comes out here, right? King David. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's very striking too that, uh, I mean, it's, it's like in the context of following the beer, right? I mean, it's like, it, it's almost as if, I mean, isn't that weird? Like, it's almost as if the thing that kind of makes him king is Abner dying, right? I mean, like, yeah. I, I don't even yeah. know what to make of that. I mean, actually, so one of the questions we got over email was, um, is Abner, uh, who shows himself to be so faithful, um, is there any, is there any... I don't know, commemoration of him in the early church or in the church tradition um, as a, as one of the Old Testament saints. I, I don't know. Like, is there something like that? I mean, Abner just, I mean, it, it's so significant, the way that he conducts himself, the way he, he brings Michal to show he's serious about peace, right? Like Joab's charge is slanderous, that he was just using it as a, a subterfuge here. Um, I don't know. Are you aware of anything with Abner? You know, I actually am. Um the tomb of Abner 
is located not far from the Cave of the Patriarchs in Hebron, and it's a popular tourist site. It was a popular um, tourist site even in the Middle Ages. Uh, if, If you go back and look at some of the literature, there's some famous visitors, get this, in 1165 A.D., uh, in 1522, um, there's even a guy who wrote a whole book about it. Uh, there's an episode. This book is published in 1859, uh, Eight Years in Asia and Africa. This guy is a famous, famous traveler, J.J. Benjamin, mm-hmm. and he visits it. Um, this is the tomb of Abner, captain of King Saul. And there are even Arabs who pay respect to the tomb, wow. in addition to Christians and Jews. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in just in just what a testimony, I think, I think to 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 this man, and I mean, it's a, uh, I mean, it's just, I think it's a very interesting portrait. Then, I mean, kind of when we kind of stand back and look at this whole chapter um, christologically, because uh, I, I feel like Abner is showing this how. I mean, I mean, there's actually, I think, something a little bit Christological here with Abner, how he he dies, uh, like I, I guess presumably as a traitor, right? Um, but ultimately, it's just like a power struggle and a grudge, and that's exactly the kind of death that the Lord dies. He's treated like he's actually like a criminal, but at the end, it's just it's just that the that the chief priests, right, and and the rulers and the scribes were jealous of him. And, and just it was just personal power grab. Yeah, that's a neat point. Uh, the kingmaker's dead. Long live the king. Well, see, no, that and that's the brilliant thing in the Lord Jesus, right? Because he's actually both Abner and David, um, rather Amen. than than just one or the other. So, anyway, brother, thank you so much. Uh, so many things going on in this chapter, but I think I think you helped a lot piecing it together. Appreciate also like the this information on Abner. I was I did not know the answer to that, so appreciate it. But yeah, um, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Pastor Paul Kane, pastor in Wyoming, Sheridan, pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church, going on to chapter four of Second Samuel. Till then, I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. In cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.